The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Well, I sang a song called We Shall See Jesus. Y'all have heard me sing it. It's been a long time. Uh, And my Aunt Judy loves it. Now, y'all don't know my Aunt Judy. She lives in, that's Daddy's sister. She lives up in Jasper. Uh, and I was leading music at First Baptist Church of Melissa, and uh, it was getting uh, around Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and Judy and her husband then came to church, and she said, oh, we came, we came to hear the song, and uh, we were singing that Sunday, Behold the Lamb in the Choir. Some of y'all may know that song. Well, I said, well, Judy, I'm not singing, or we're not singing that song today, because I assumed she was talking about my song, (laughs) We Shall See Jesus, and she went, oh, y'all aren't singing Behold the Lamb? (laughs) Well, why that was funny is that is very humbling, you know, when you go, oh, I'm not singing that today, (laughs) she goes, oh, I didn't come to hear that, I come to hear the song I really like, uh, and so we're going to talk today about uh, uh, humility, about being humble, and uh, let me give you a definition of humility, and it's being totally consumed with glorifying God and not at all concerned with glorifying self. And I want you to listen to that, and I want you to give that some thought. Humility is being totally consumed with glorifying God and not at all concerned with glorifying self. Uh, when I'm totally consumed with glorifying God and not at all concerned with glorifying myself, then I think uh, we, can, we can worship and we can pray as God desires that we do. Uh, and uh, just a couple of things about humility. Uh, a young woman met with her pastor and uh, asked for help uh, with a besetting sin, she said, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. It's pride. And every time I go to church, I begin to look around at the other women, and I realize that I'm the prettiest one in the whole congregation. And none of the others can compare with my beauty. And what should I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, well, Mary, that's not a sin. That's a mistake. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, I'm not sure he wanted to go that way. One Christmas afternoon, the pastor's wife dropped in her chair and said, Boy, am I forever tired. The pastor, her husband, looked over and said, I've been on my feet for two days nearly constantly. We feel like that today. Some of you that were here yesterday, you were here all morning, all afternoon. and uh, So I've been on my feet for, for most most of two days, I've led two special services. Last night, I led three today. I've preached a total of five sermons. What have you got to be so tired about? Dearest, she replied, I had to listen to those sermons. So <laughs> that's an ouch. But that's humility, isn't it? Here's the last thing. The pastor got an invitation to preach at the annual association meeting. We have those, and I've never been invited. So uh, he was invited to go and preach at the associational meeting. When the associational secretary brought his check, uh, honorarium, she handed it to him. He smiled and gave it back and said, oh, no, no. To honor uh, the honor of preaching was payment enough. Surely there's a, 
a cause that this could be used for, the associational secretary said, well, we do have a special fund we could put it in. The pastor had to pressure her a little bit to say what it was going to, and finally she gave in and said, well, we have started a fund to invite better speakers to this thing. So, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we've been talking about making America great again over the last four or five weeks, and I believe for that desire, for that dream to become a reality, it begins with the church. Now think about that. It can't begin anywhere else, can it? I mean, if we want, really want America to be great again, it, it, it starts at the church. Because as the church goes, so goes the nation. If the church uh, is dwindling away, the nation begins to dwindle away. So I, I think we, we sometimes uh, sit back and, and think quietly, you know, well, if we... Uh, if we'll rely on someone else, and we tend to rely on elected officials, and we think if I rely on this elected official, if I uh, can get the right people in office, if we can make uh, get the right things going the right direction, then, then we can have a great America. That's not true. The truth is, when the church starts doing our part, then God says, I'm going to take care of the issues with the nation. Now, we find that in Second Chronicles 7.14. You can turn there. Many of you will know that, that passage by heart. But Chronicles is kind of hard to find, so you can kind of fan through the Old Testament over there, and, and you'll finally run across it if you use your concordance. You can find it real quick. It's on page 633 in my Bible. And uh, the more you use that thing, the less you have to. So if you want to turn to Second Chronicles 7 and go down to verse 14 and... and uh, really 15 also, and I would encourage you to underline that if you don't have that underlined in Scripture. So what I want us to think about today is God's design to make America great again. Now, you say, well, America's not in the Bible. Well, we talked last week about what Scripture says, the, the uh, blessed is the nation whose, whose nation is God. So uh, when we look at this and we begin to examine this, if it's my people who are called by my name, uh, then we realize that God is talking about a blessed nation, that, that their nation is God. So we don't have to look at this and say, well, he's talking to, to Solomon or he's talking about the Israelites, but he's talking about the nation whose nation is God. And he talks about how he would bless that nation, but there's some directions that go with that blessing, there's actually six of them that we find here in Second Chronicles 7.14. And here's what it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sins, and listen, then will I heal their land. Now, in that passage, you find six different things. You find, first, my people. Secondly, you see my people who are called by my name. Thirdly, we see pray. Then we see seek. And then we see turn. Now, I left one out on purpose. So, what I wanted to do this morning, just real quickly, we're not going to go through and break all of these out. I've preached on this before, and I've kind of done those things. But, but I think we can look at those six, and they're pretty self-explanatory. We're smart enough to understand that 
what it means to be God's people. If you're a born-again Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've done so because God called you. Remember, we've talked about this through this series already. We don't just come to God and decide, hey, I'm going to be saved today. The Bible says we come to God because we are drawn by the Spirit of God. And if we're not drawn, then we're not a Christian. So, so if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're God's people. And you've got to be God's people by being called by God's name. You were called, you were drawn into God. And then the next things we see is pray. He says, if you're my people, if you're called by my name... If you pray, well, we know how to pray. We know what prayer is. We've talked about prayer. We've studied prayer. And prayer doesn't have to be something that's, that's complicated. It's just communing with our Father. It's just a, a conversation with God the Father. And, and we don't have to put any special words or special things in that prayer. We, we simply just go to, to God and say, All right, Dad, here's, here's my concerns. Here's my thanks to you. Here's my praise to you. Here's what uh, our nation needs. We just, we're just talking to the Father. So, so that's what prayer. Number four, he says, we need to seek Him. In other words, we, we go looking for God. We, we look for places that we're in contact with God. We look for places that we commune with the Father. That's, that's pretty simple. And then lastly, he said, if we turn, and we talk about that a lot, we talk about repenting. And what is repenting? It's just a turning. So if when we read in the Bible, any place we see repent, it simply means turn. You're, you're going this way, you're living in sin. When you repent of that sin, you've turned and you've gone a different direction. So as God lays these things out, he gives us six of these. Well, the first five, and they're not really in that order, but the first five says, My people call by my name, pray, seek, and turn. Now, one thing I want us to understand, who's God talking to here? He's talking to his people. So when he says, I'm going to forgive their sin and I want to heal their land, he's saying, church, it's our responsibility to be where God wants us to be as his chosen people. He doesn't say our president, our leaders, our... He says, if my people, just the church, if we'll, if we'll respond how I want you to respond. So I skipped over this one thought here, and that was humble themselves. Because I think when we look at those six ideals, my people call by my name, pray, seek, and turn, we, we pretty much understand that. But this morning, if, if I said, what is it to humble yourself? I think that's a little more difficult to define. And so, you know, humility is, is not highly regarded in American society today. If you think about it, schools have programs for building self-esteem. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't teach anybody how to be humble. And, and we're, uh, we're to take pride in our work. That's okay. But we're not, we're, we're not understanding how to be humble. Uh, America are taught to be self-reliant. In other words, we don't want to rely on anyone else. And humility is kind of a joke. It's kind of like a, the imaginary book, uh, Perfect Humility and How I Attained It. Well, you know, well, we say, well, once you've attained it, once you brag about it, well, you've lost it again. So I think when we think about humility and we think about how we would define it, I think we need to realize there's a great misunderstanding about what humility is. And some people think, well, humility means being a doormat. Or humility means uh, letting people walk all over you. Well, I think that's why humility is something we tend to tune out. Because 
We don't want to be a doormat. We don't want people to walk over us. So we feel like, hey, I've got to stand up. I've got to have this pride. I've I've got to be self-sufficient because nobody's going to use me as a door. Well, that's not what humility is. And I hope at the end of the next about 20 minutes that we'll have a great understanding of 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14 and what God is telling us to be as his children. And, and, and how it goes along with prayer and how it goes along with being God's people and all of those things. So the, the politician, Abraham Lincoln, in order to please another person in his cabinet, he, he, had a, he, he gave orders to a certain army regiment to be transferred. And back then, the Department of Defense uh, was the War Department and the Secretary of War was Edwin Stanton. And... And he refused to obey the order from the president. And he said this, the president's a fool. So back then, gossip traveled just about as fast as gossip travels today. And it got back to the president. And and the president heard about it. And this is how he responded. This is Abraham Lincoln. If Mr. Stanton says I'm a fool, then he must be right. Because he's nearly always right, so I'll go check for myself. He talked with his secretary and realized the order he gave was a mistake. It was, an, it was a mistake to withdraw. So when we think about Abraham Lincoln, we don't think about him as a doormat. He was humble enough to say, okay, I better do some investigating here. I, I need to check and look and see what's going on here. And, and compare Abraham Lincoln to Fonzie. Y'all remember Fonzie? Some of y'all don't remember Fonzie. You're too young. Uh, and I just have to ask, does Haley don't remember Fonzie? You know, and, and, uh, and we're always on Haley about what she remembers. And, and she lived this little life in a little sheltered egg. And, and uh, so Fonzie was the cool dude with the leather jacket and rode the motorcycle. And in one of the episodes there, uh, Fonzie was wrong. And you may remember this, and and so they he had to admit that he was wrong, and and uh, and if, if you remember that he he said, well I was, and he he couldn't get it out. He 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 he's too cool, and he he just couldn't get it out. And finally he he said, well I was I I wasn't right. He he just couldn't get out that that statement to say, hey I was wrong. So. So uh, humility admits mistakes. Humility is something that, that uh, it, it understands mistakes and it, 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 it attempts to correct them without losing self-esteem or without becoming a doormat. So that's really what humility is. It's, it's not folding up like a, a limp rag. It's saying, okay, I've made some mistakes and, and I'm going to attempt to correct those mistakes. Some people think that humility means not having no success, having no accomplishments, nothing to brag about. That's not true. That's not what humility is. Y'all, do you remember Mac Davis? He was a singer. And uh, we went over to my son's last night, and we sat in his shop with a wood-burning stove burning there, and we listened to some old country music. And uh, so we were quizzing Haley again. Do you know who this is? And George Strait. <laughs> George Jones, uh, anyway, I'll get off of you today, Haley. I want you to come back next week. Uh, but, but Mac Davis, he's a former country music entertainer of the year. And, and he, he kind of crossed over back in the 80s from country to pop. 
you know, the country music is, was country music. We don't have country music anymore. We have pop that, that they call country. But, but he kind of made that transition. So his songs was all over the radio because he was moving in this new ideal and stations that didn't normally play country music. They played this song because they liked it. So this song that he had, uh, he had all the bookings he could handle. He was, he was going on variety shows. He even hosted the Muppet Show. I mean, he was, he was on top of the world. <coughs> this song was everywhere. The next year following this song, he hosted the Country Music Awards. That year, he had no hits. He was nominated for nothing. First year, he was on top of the world. He, he was the man that everybody wanted to hear, everybody wanted to see. The next year, there was nothing there for him. Now, some of y'all probably already thought ahead and thought about what song it was. Do you remember this song in the 1980s? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. When you're perfect in every way, I can't wait to look in the mirror. What? I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. <laughs> oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. That, that song, it, it, just, it just caught on like fire. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole song, and I, could, I can quote it all. I can sing it all right now. I won't, but, but uh, uh, you know, the whole song, and, 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 and people loved it. And he was nominated for everything. Well, the next year, as he hosted those country music awards, I don't remember watching this. I actually read about it. He has no hits. He's nominated for nothing. Here's the line that was most memorable of that evening as Mac Davis stood uh, hosting the country music awards with no nominations of any kind. He made this statement, Well, I guess it's not so hard to be humble after all. And, and, you know, in that statement, uh, just what he's saying is, is he says it's hard to be humble one year winning prizes and awards, but, but the next year when he was nominated for nothing, he seemed to think humility meant having no success. I mean, think about what he said. I guess it's not that hard to be humble. I had no success. I had no accomplishments. I have nothing to brag about. So he just took that word humility, and he kind of put it where most people think it goes. Because I'm not uh, nominated, because I don't have success this year, because I have no accomplishments, because I have nothing to brag about, well, I must be humble. That's, that's an error in thinking about what humility is. Again, I think that's why we find it so unappealing in America today because we don't really understand what the word humility is. There's a similar error that, that humanity needs to think about our strengths not as, a, a good, as good as others or good as our accomplishments uh, because if we think about we're not as good as others, then we're thinking about pleasing ourselves, or we're thinking about pleasing men. Y'all have all heard of C.S. Lewis. He's a great writer, and he had a different view of, uh, of this humility in, in one of his better-known books, The Screwtape Letters. Some of y'all may have read those. And in this, in this writing, he, he has an, a, 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 an ideal, or this book is about a senior demon, a senior demon guy, and he's He's teaching a junior demon. He's writing him letters how to tempt people. That's what the book's about. So here's what he says. This is how he would tempt 
Christians, how he would tempt people, fixing his mind the ideal that humility consists of trying to believe that the talents we have are less valuable than he believes them to be. By this method, thousands of humans have been, thought, have been brought to think that humility means pretty women trying to believe they're ugly, clever men trying to believe they're fools, and since they're trying to believe, <clears throat> and since what they're trying to believe is, in some cases, manifested nonsense, they cannot succeed in believing it, and we have the chance of keeping their mind endlessly revolving on themselves in an effort to achieve the impossible. Now, I understand just reading through that, you got to let it mull over and you got to think about it a while. You kind of got to let that, what he's talking about, soak in there. But, but what he's talking about is, is a pretty woman who, who says, well, I'm not pretty, or a, a clever man that says, well, uh, I'm a fool. That can be false humility. In other words, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretending that, that our talents are not really that good, that our successes are not really that great, that our, that our strength is not really that, that, that valuable. And, and so we begin to play our down who we are and what we are. We want to downplay it. And, and kind of sometimes in the back of our mind, we're hoping that others will build us up. You know, we, uh, well, I made that, I, I made this, this beautiful thing here, and oh, I know it's just an ugly mess. And what would, what would we say if, they went, if somebody went, boy, it sure is. It's just a mess. We'd go, well, why would you say that? I mean, we're, that's false humility. You know, we, you'd say, well, it ain't that bad. You know, so, so I think sometimes that, that false humility is, is people saying, hey, I've got some talents, but I have to downplay them. That's not what humility is. Uh, a beautiful woman's a beautiful woman. A, a smart man's a smart man. A talented person is a talented person. And, and God has given us those things. And he's given us those things. Why? That we can build the church up. That we can build one another up. Not, not that we can shine the light on ourselves. So, so being praised by someone's not sinful pride. When somebody says, hey, you look nice today, say thank you. Don't say, oh, this old thing. You know, I've had that. Well, you got up and looked at it 20 times in the mirror to make sure it looked good and everything. <laughs> You know, and then you come and somebody says, oh, that looks so nice. Oh, it's so thing. I just threw it on this morning. Well, just say, well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. You know, think about that. That's, that's, what is that? That's false humility. But when we simply go, well, I appreciate that compliment. It's hard to do, I promise you. When somebody gives you a compliment, isn't it hard just to say, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Don't we usually feel like we have to say something negative about it? Or is that just me? Are you listening? Say, I am. Next time somebody pays you a compliment, say, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So Charlene Ann Bauckham, she, she wrote a book about raising her sons. And one chapter was about humility and experiences that she had. And, and she felt the Holy Spirit nudging her to seek out uh, a study of humility. And she thought she might write a book about what she learned from this study. After hours of studying Scripture, she decided to broaden her study out. She uh, began to, to look for other books, and she went to a Christian bookstore and asked for books on humility. And time and time again, clerks would say, gee, there's, there's just not many books on that topic. 
And then they would follow up with this. After all, who would dare write on such a subject? And, and she actually said, you know, to, to be honest, I, I really wanted to study humility. And to be honest, I couldn't find anything. Because after all, who would want to talk about that? And, and I, I wouldn't dare teach on humility, even me today, if, if we weren't a part of this, this passage of Scripture we read today because I'm no authority on humility by any means. And, and I don't know who is. And uh, for much of church history, it seems that, that writings on humility is, has been emphasized or really focused on that we're wretched sinners. That's true. I mean, that really is true. But uh, any sin against the, the infinite holy God... Uh, fits into that category as a wretched sinner. So, so when we take that into church today, we kind of begin, begin to understand even churches have looked over this subject to, to what, what it really means to be humility. Granted, we need to recognize that we're saved and, and most of us uh, still have sins in our lives and, and we understand that we are sinners, but, but humility goes much beyond that. There was some simple words. Bob Storch, he wrote a, a book called Secrets of the Secret Place, Keys to Igniting Your Personal Time with God. Listen to what he says about humility. And I, I want you to hear what it says. Humility says, Lord, I'm just empty without you, without your fullness. I'm broken without your wholeness. I'm helpless without your strength. And I'm clueless without your wisdom. And apart from you, Lord, I'm nothing. I need you. I think that's a great thought about humility. That doesn't make us weak. That doesn't make us a doorstep. That doesn't make us something that people move over. It's simply looking at God and saying, God, I realize. I've come to the point in my life of realizing that I'm empty without your fullness. God, I realize that I'm broken without your wholeness, that I'm helpless without your strength, that I'm clueless without your wisdom. And God, apart from you, I'm nothing. That's what it means to be humble. Think about that. If we want to be humble, we recognize that, God, apart from you, I'm nothing. And with all our strength, with all our talents, with all our abilities we have, just God has given us those things. We can be proud of those things. We can use them to glorify God in those things. But realizing apart from God, there's emptiness. There's nothing there. And, and I think when we begin to understand that, the secret to humility is seeing as much of God as we see of ourselves. In other words, it's looking at ourselves and we're seeing God and we begin to see ourselves and, and we realize that God, apart from you, I'm nothing. And that's really what humility is. We find ourselves lost in that comparison between God, the infinite, holy God, and, and who we are. See, the problem we have with humility is we begin to look around at others and we begin kind of like that lady in church and say, you know what, I'm the best looking thing here today and, and what can I do about that? Well, what have we done? We've taken our eyes off God. We have begin to look around at others and we begin to puff up with pride and say, you know what, I'm pretty good after all. And then when we get to think about humility, we say, oh, i got to play that down. i got to downplay that. When God says, if we're really going to be humble, don't look around at each other, but look at God and compare ourselves with who God is. And we need to know God loves us and He calls us and He wants to build us and He wants to change us. But apart from Him, we're empty. And we might say today, you know, I, I just don't know how we get there. I, I read this writing, Charlie Ann uh, Brumbridge, she talks about humility with his friend, with her friends, and she says, 
People tell her, Charlene, people just can't become humble. Because the more you try to be humble, the worse you get at it. When you finally get to the point that you can say, well, I really am humble, then you've lost that point. So, so people can't do that. And, and if you kind of think that way, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. This is what it says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. That's what the Bible says. What are we talking about? It's simply saying, God, I realize apart from you, I'm nothing. We humble ourselves, recognizing, God, you're our strength, you're our power, you're our hope, you're our direction, you're everything we need. And God, I'm going to take my time and my talents and my abilities, and I'm going to invest them into what you're doing. And and I'm going to be humble, God, not saying, hey, look at what I'm doing, but simply pointing people to God the Father. Robert Leroy, he preached, humanity is not... uh, uh, being humble is not inferior or poor self-esteem. It's seeking out strengths and weaknesses honestly and not letting either of them keep us from accomplishing what we need to do. Humility is recognizing that our strength, it comes from God. Humility is recognizing that God doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. Humility is not pretending that we don't have gifts, that we don't have abilities. We know what we have. Humility is simply being thankful and truthful and modest of the estimation of ourselves. You know, I thought about this in Scripture. I thought about, as we see in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, we see the sinner and the public, or we see the publican and the Pharisee, and they go into the temple. And, and do you remember what happened? The Pharisee, it says he stood in front of the temple at the altar, and he prayed out loud where everybody could hear, Thank you, God, that I'm not like this man who was the publican. And, and the publican said, the Bible says he knelt down, and he beat upon his chest and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> See the difference between being humble before God and being prideful before God? God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as some of these people. But simply saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5? Isaiah, it says, he, he seen God's presence and he, he cried out, woe to me. Before, because I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm, I'm a sinner and I live among people of unclean lips and I live among people who are sinners. Do you see that, that, that humble nature that Isaiah had? It says when he saw God, he cried, woe to me. He was a great leader. He was a great leader of, of God's nation. But when he compared himself with God, when he humbled himself before God, then he realized he was a sinner. He realized he lived among people who were sinners, and he prayed out to God, and because of that, God blessed him. So if we choose to define humility, and what I would choose to define it this morning is, is if we're totally consumed with glorifying God and not at all concerned with glorifying ourselves, then that's humility. I've not arrived there yet, I'll tell you. By any stretch of the imagination have I arrived there. But to make America great again, folks, we don't have the answers, do we? We may have an opinion, but we don't have the answers. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the means. We don't have the power. 
We don't have, we don't have the, the resources to get it done. But you know who does? God does. And God looks at us, His people, and He says, Hey, when I looked at your nation, I saw it crumbling away. Over here in Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God's answering Solomon's prayer that was back in chapter 6. And Solomon prays, and he confesses the sin of Israel, and God answers his prayer right here. So today, if we're praying for a nation, we need to say, Okay, God, I don't have the means, I don't have the power, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the understanding, but God, I know you do. And because you do, let's read it again. My people, who are called by my name, if you'll humble yourselves, if you'll pray, if you'll seek my face, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and then will I heal their land. I want to close with a story about Leonard Bernstein. Y'all probably heard that name. You may not know exactly who it is. He was one of the first conductors born and educated in the United States, conducted an orchestra. He received worldwide fame. He died in 1990. He conducted concerts by some of the world's leading orchestras. He, he composed symphonies. Uh, he wrote music for Broadway and all kinds of Broadway hits. His, his obituary said he's one of the most talented and successful musicians in all of American history. Someone asked him which time, which is the most difficult instrument to play? Here was his answer. He said, the second fiddle. He says, I get plenty of first violinist, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's the problem. Because first violinist, they're the stars. They have the melody line that people notice. They have the fun part. But the second violinist, they simply harmonize with the first. Their score is played by itself, and it doesn't make much sense by itself. It's not as much fun to play as the melody line, and their job is simply to support the first violinist. You see, second violinists are concerned with the success of the orchestra without calling attention to themselves. And we're concerned with the glory of God without calling attention to ourselves. And humility is being totally consumed with the glory of God and not at all consumed with glorifying oneself. Now, when we understand what that definition is, we can quickly see that humility is not being weak and being ran over and, and playing down our talents or playing down our abilities, but it's simply saying, God, I know without you I'm helpless and I'm lost. God, I know you have the power to heal a nation. God, I know you have the power to, to deliver in my times of trouble. God, I know you have the power to help me make these decisions or to direct my path or direct my feet. And when we become humble in God's eyes, when we become humble at God's side, the Bible says this, when we become humble, he lifts us up. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I, pr- I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise we have. If we're really concerned 
about our nation today. I pray that we would take your recipe, your design, your instructions, and, Father, we would put them to practice in our lives. I pray, Father, we'd first examine ourselves to see if we've been called by you, if we've accepted you as our personal Savior. Father, I pray as we think about those things and we remember that time that we accepted you, we prayed and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and, and Lord, I know I need a Savior. Father, I pray that we'd know that we became part of your family and that you came and you, you dwell within us, Father. Lord, I pray when we know that we're part of your family, called by your name, that we would become humble in your sight. Realizing, Lord, that you've given us ability, you've given us talents, you've given us minds that we can be great with you, but apart from you, we're nothing. That we would humble ourselves, that we would pray, that we would seek you and seek your face. And Father, in those times that we have sin in our lives revealed to us through your spirit, we would repent, we would turn, we would be revived again from those things. And Father, we would know that promise you give us as a church. Father, you tell us you'll hear from heaven and you'll heal our land. Lord, I pray that today we in this church would take your word and know the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be salt and light. We'd slow down the decay that's coming. That we would shine light into dark areas. That we would display hope in you. Father, today I pray that you'd take these words and that you would teach me how to be humble. And Father, I'd not look around, but I'd look up. Father, I pray today that as we have a time of singing, a time of invitation as we close, I pray, Lord, as we examine ourselves, if there'd be any here today that's never accepted you as your personal Savior, I pray, Lord, today would be the day of salvation. I pray that we wouldn't allow our pride, what others think, what others see, what others may know about us, keep us back from saying, okay, Lord, my first step is to be called by you, and I feel your calling and, Father, I'll respond. Lord, I pray today that you would do business with your people in this place. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.